Hi, welcome to the Google Hangout on uh, answering the question of how people with CPTSD should approach affirmations and uh, why they should even bother. Um, there's a lot for me to get through. I'm not sure which bit of this to start with. Uh, perhaps the best thing to, for the first 20 minutes, I'm just going to describe what the problems are for people with CPTSD as far as affirmations go and, and how we can work around them. So I'll start there. Um, why do I even think affirmations are useful at all? When I was when I was a young man, I studied English literature and I found it very enjoyable. When I was a young man, and uh, I had an English teacher who called Mr. Hopkins, who always used to say, "DYT, define your terms before you start talking about anything. Define your terms first. So, what do I mean when I'm talking about affirmations? And this is going to feed into something that I'm going to say later about impl the implicit ideology of affirmations. What I'm talking about is something that is implicit ideology free. I'm talking about affirmations in the most down to earth, cognitive behavioral therapeutic, um, self hypnosis type of affirmations. Meaning, from an NLP point of view, that you think in words, because mm -hmm, your brain just went, do I? And you spend an awful lot of your time thinking uh, by asking questions and then answering the questions that you just asked. So your brain's just gone, do I really do that? And then your brain fires back with, yeah, you kind of do, you're sort of doing it now and he's taking the piss out of you now for doing it. So you know that it's true. And um, so the words that we think are very important. Uh, a few years ago, I ran a thought experiment for a month. Um, this came up recently when a friend of mine said to me, how did you recover? What was a big, What's the secret? What's the, the tip in your recovery process from CPTSD? And one of the big leaps forward that I took, one of them, uh, there were several leaps forward, one of them I took was um, living in Kuala Lumpur. When you see some of my videos from 2013 uh, going into 2014, and you see that big cheesy looking black leather couch that looks kind of like a pilot seat, and me sat there with a vest on, with the window open, with the sound of exotic birds and monkeys fighting outside, that's me in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Um, right on the edge of, which is a city built into the jungle. So literally I'd be doing YouTube videos and you could hear like monkeys uh, trying to mate and fight with each other and carry on and all kinds of cool stuff going outside. I, I, I love that, that period. Um, and I was quite happy then, but I, I, I was stuck. I couldn't move forward in my life. And I wanted to do like a sort of a diet training thing for my head, for my brain, as it were. And I started with the premise that maybe there was some truth to the idea that your thoughts do create reality but not in a woo-woo way and not in a way that is corrupted by disgusting capitalist western decadence bullshit materialism like in um the the book the secret uh but just that I had an understanding that language was very powerful i was listening to a lot of terence mckenna at that time and uh, he pretty much, listening to old YouTube videos of Terence McKenna and reading some of his work um, and reading a little bit of, of uh, Richard Dawkins and, and some Robert Anton Wilson as well, I was kind of convinced that we do actually live inside of language, that language forms the construct of reality. Um, and so... I was approaching it from that point of view as like a philosophical point of view and some point and so at some points from a political point of view, 
you know, from the idea that the personal is political and the political is personal. And I was listening to an awful lot of uh, Slavoj Žižek at that time as well, like at the end of 2013. So the end of 2013, cut a long story short, I run a, a, a thought experiment where I'm living in Malaysia. And for one month, I start taking very, very conscious control of what I'm thinking. Now, I've already got a background in NLP and in hypnosis and psychology, and I know that you can't not think negative thoughts. You can't not not do something. That's difficult. That's that your brain wants to focus on things to do, not what not to do. So if you're riding a jet ski, not one of those sit down ones, but a proper one for warriors where you stand up um, and you think don't fall in the water, you're more likely to fall in the water. If you're boxing and you're thinking, oh, I better not get punched in the face, the chances are high that you're now focusing on not getting punched in the face and you probably get punched in the face. Um, what you should do with that jet ski is go, hey, jet ski really, really well and stay upright. And if you're boxing, you should be thinking about, oh, I must have a really good defense and I should be hitting the other guy in his face before he hits mine. Um, so you're focused on positives. The brain finds it easier to process positive commands than negative commands. Uh, the game that I used to play in the schools, as I would say to the school kids to, to make this point, try not to think about an orange penguin. And your brain has to think about the thing you don't want it to think about. Uh, this is one of the reasons why diets fail is because people are thinking about all the delicious food that they cannot eat. So if I say, don't think about the cake, don't think about the cake, your brain's going to think about the cake, think about the cake. So I sort of thought about this and I thought, okay, well, I need to tell my brain to think about things. At this time in my life as well, I'd, I'd, I'd come on in leaps and bounds in my uh, strength training by just doing what experts told me to do and following their advice. So I was into this idea of uh, conditioning for the mind, you know, strength and conditioning for the mind. And I knew that it would take time and repetition and it would be work and it would be outside of my comfort zone. And I had this very strong impression that if I stayed inside of my comfort zone and I just permitted my thoughts to repeat, those repetitive patterns of thought and emotion would keep me in the place where I was. If you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got. If you always think what you've always thunk, then you're going to keep getting because your thoughts lead to feelings, which lead to decisions about the world, which lead to actions. And those actions will either um, prove the, the root thought or disprove it. And usually they prove it. And that's because your unconscious, without making this too complicated, is moving in a direction. I've talked about reality tunnels on this channel before. It's a Timothy Leary concept that was made popular by Robert Anton Wilson. It's used sometimes, occasionally, by Richard Bandler. That we are pulling things into our reality. I don't mean that in a woo way. You're not literally not magnetic attraction, like I'm pulling a red Ferrari to me right now. That's not, that's not how it works. But if you think red Ferrari every day, uh, you're more likely to notice them in the environment, to have thoughts and feelings about it. And your unconscious mind does seem to have, for want of a better term, and being very aware that this is a model of reality, not reality, a kind of onboard guidance system. So that if you're constantly focused on certain things, your unconscious goes, yeah, okay, that's what you want. The new agey definition that I used to sort of read about back in the day, maybe 10 years ago or so was the last time. Well, I think that was the, when, when I like 
was it doesn't matter there's a long backstory but i was stuck in a place and the only dvd i had to watch in that place was the effing secret and uh, um the 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 idea there was that the woo idea was that the universe never says no to your most repetitive and emotionally charged thoughts and i was like yeah okay cool and obviously 10 years later i'm like the universe what the fuck is that what what does that mean why would the universe what (laughs) what what does that actually mean um i use language like that for years because and i would talk to people and we'd have conversations with this implicit sort of group hysteria understood concept a social construct called yeah the universe totally says no whatever you think is what the fuck are you saying the universe doesn't care what you think like this it's nonsense the unconscious mind might and the unconscious mind is making a huge amount of decisions for us Uh, part of being a little bit less full of ego being a bit more ego less is to realize how often our unconscious mind is leading us into repetition compulsion so that we end up in the same relationships, the same jobs, the same scenarios, and the same fucking personality types keep popping up again and again in my life. Now, at that time, I was running the Spartan Life Coach YouTube channel. I was running my meetups in Kuala Lumpur, a pretty cool meetup group that's still going. It's called Dynamic NLP Kuala Lumpur. Somebody else has taken it over now, but it still goes. I was making my YouTube videos, as I say, I was doing really coaching with people, and I was happy but I wasn't moving forward and I knew I was stuck and I knew that uh, I didn't really talk in terms of CPTSD, but I was becoming aware of something called borderline personality disorder. And I convinced myself for a while there that because of the, uh, the symptom list that I was a male borderline because I knew that my self-perception was fractured and I knew that my interpersonal relationships were weird and turbulent and, and, and often didn't make sense. And I wanted it to stop. I really wanted it to stop. Uh, a lot. So I'm living in a place, if you're bored whilst I'm talking, you can look it up. It's called the Happy Garden in Kuala Lumpur. It's just off Old Klang Road uh, by the Pearl Point Hotel. I remember, I'll remember the rest of my life where I was sat. Uh, Malaysia, in uh, the, it's obviously a, it's a jungle climate. And what happens is you usually will have sun in the morning and then these big, dramatic, beautiful suns will build up with all the heat and the humidity. Uh, throughout the day and it was a, it was a huge downpour i remember sitting there it was december of 2013 maybe the 5th or 6th and i was just looking at the rain just watching the rain and i was like well fuck it i'll just do this for a month i'm just going to have like run this thought experiment where there are certain thoughts that i'm going to make myself think repeatedly throughout the day you got to remember i'm living in uh, I don't. I don't want to like sidetrack people and turn this into something it's not about. But I'm living in uh, Malaysia, a Muslim country, and um, you can never get away from the sound of the call to prayer. And the sound of the call to prayer sounds five times a day. So five times a day, you are reminded of certain things. If you're down for that, if you're into that, and I thought that was smart. I was like five times a day. That's a good number. That's a good number to remind people to remind themselves of what their purpose on the planet is, where their place in the universe is, and in the cosmos, and what they're doing. Um, so I thought that was really good. It was a piece of mental conditioning. I thought that was great. So I was like, okay, every time I hear the call to prayer, and one time in between, so it would be 10 times a day, and there would be certain things I would think, and certain things I would focus on, and certain affirmations I would give myself that were pieces of carefully constructed 
in a dialogue that were appropriate to my objectives and my goals at that time. There is a concept in neuro-linguistic programming called uh, structural well-formedness. So when you are, um, they, they borrowed it from linguistics, uh, structural well-formedness is a linguistic concept. If a sentence is well-formed, it is clear and specific and grammatically accurate and makes sense. So when I was constructing these affirmations, these pieces of inner dialogue that were appropriate to some new attitudes and new beliefs that I was adopting, I made sure they were structurally well-formed, that there was good English and no crap had uh, snuck in there. So there were certain rules that I borrowed from NLP, certain rules that I borrowed from linguistics, certain rules that I borrowed from uh, philosophy and politics, because I'd, I'd studied uh, things like um, social constructionism as, as part of my psychology degree. It was, it was a thing I was allowed to do in discourse analysis. And I knew, that if you remember those that time, those old YouTube videos, I, would, I was talking a lot about the stories we live by. There's a book called The Stories We Live By. So at that time, I was becoming very conscious of the fact that our narratives of who we are, the words we use to describe ourselves, ourselves, was key because we literally live inside of language. I don't want to get into a philosophical argument with people about that. Like some people say, no, that's nonsense. It can't possibly be true, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, of course it's not literally true, but if you think about it and you permit your if you flex your philosophical muscles for a moment and consider the ways in which it is true, um, you'll have an interesting little meditation session as you're walking around outside in the garden, thinking about how we live inside of language, language, uh, which we do. Language is powerful. And sometimes language is all we have. Uh, whatever emotional state that I can draw you into through a YouTube video, a Google Hangout, or um, a course you download, is words, it's language. So if I say to you, hey, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. Da, 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 da. That pacing and that tone of voice and that volume and whatever else it reminds you of and the associations to it and the feelings associated to those associations all has an impact and it actually constructs your inner emotional reality. What Richard Bandler posited at one time, I don't know if he's still into it now, but uh, early Richard Bandler, uh, was he would talk about how if people have a deficit of words to describe their experience, they'll actually have a, I think he used the rather pompous word, paucity of experience, like a poverty of experience. So if you just go, what was that like? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it was a bit shit. You know, that's a limited way of describing an experience and it's a limited way of expressing who you are and how you feel about the world and all the rest of it. So I searched ahead with this thought experiment. Would I recommend it? It changed my life. I didn't even do it properly. I didn't follow five times a day. I certainly didn't follow 10 times a day. Uh, within that month, I think there were whole days that I just completely forgot what to do. But once I reminded myself, I jumped back on it. And... Um, it really had a massively, massively powerful effect. And that was nothing more than changing the thoughts I was thinking. One more piece of that puzzle, one more piece of that story, and I realize I'm throwing this story at you as kind of a muddled clump, um, which is great for your brain, because uh, it will digest the pieces it needs in an organic way at the pace it needs to. Um, that I was also very aware, I'd come across this piece of pop psychology research while scouring 
the internet, you know, on some dodgy, like psychologytoday.com isn't dodgy, but some of the articles are a bit off, but out there. Um, it was a pop psychology thing I'd come across and it said that the research had been done and people's thoughts were very repetitive. You know, 98% of what you think today, you're going to think again tomorrow. And that scared the bejesus out of me because I knew how messed up and negative and self-critical and ca catastrophic um, a lot of my thoughts, my inner dialogue was. So that's why I went on that little diet and cleaned it up and it, it really, really changed my life. In that apartment, in that place where I was living with the black couch and you've seen those videos where you can hear the monkeys outside, which is all important pieces of the story. This is Asia, obviously. Uh, you can't wear shoes inside the house. It's not, uh, it's just not done. You wear flip-flops inside the house. One day I'd come back from the gym and I got to the front door of this apartment and I was about to put the key in the lock and I didn't really know much about CPTSD, so I didn't have the language for it, but I like a negative, what I, I would now describe as an emotional flashback of shame for something kicked off a negative thought kicked off. That's how I thought about it at the time. And my mind immediately, boom, fired back with uh, an affirmation, a piece of internal dialogue that I'd specifically created for this kind of negative thinking. And at that moment, I was sold. I was convinced. I was like, okay, this works. Now I need to deconstruct why it works. I think what happens is the affirmations, and this is me saying something important now. I've given you, I've warmed you up. So you're nice and loose. You're relaxed, you're ready, you're like, give it to me, give it to me, yeah, okay. The affirmations are the stuff, the stuff of which beliefs are made. I'm not gonna be able to convince you in this Google Hangout just how powerful beliefs are, but any major learning, enlightenment, or therapeutic foothold you can get in your life is going to be rooted in deep belief change work. And I think most of the people watching this know that. They don't need to be sold on that idea. Well, affirmations, those pieces of words, these little spells, these thoughts that we're constantly thinking, they construct uh, the beliefs. Or if you don't like the word spell, you could say prayer. If you don't like the word prayer, you could just say piece of internal dialogue that constructs the little pieces of schema schemata that run in your mind that help you to construct your map of reality it's like changing your map of reality like on that old map where you would have like you know a shitty picture of england and you know great britain that's all out of whack and then on the side it says here's the treasure and over there here be dragons well people's minds look like that they do inside because I have to hang out in other people's maps all the time. I have to go in somebody else's map in order to help them, in order to try and heal them a little bit and cure them and get them back on their feet. And I will find pieces of the map where I'll go, dude, what's this weird thing over here? And they'll say, there be dragons. You can't go there because terrible, terribleness is over there. I'll say, oh, okay. How do we know that that's true? And you literally have to go in and, and change the script. I recommended a John Wareham book. Uh, ages ago and somebody came back and went, I found what the book is. I, it's called The Life You Were Born to Live. It looks like a very cheesy piece of corporate sales psychology programming on the outside, but inside is actually, a, a, you know, they did that to sell a book. Inside is actually a pretty deep um, 
piece of literature about our unconscious scripts that we adopt mainly from our parents, which is a really uncomfortable idea, an extremely provocative idea for some people, but it's actually changing the script. So if I can go in or, an, or a decent counselor or therapist or coach uh, can go in or you yourself can go in and change that script, that's the work. There ain't nothing more than that. It's changing your map of reality. That's, that's essential to understanding what holds emotional flashbacks, which is the essence or the, the, the predominant symptom of CPTSD in place, is rooted in deep-seated beliefs and emotional reactions. And that, you know, a lot of these beliefs are just not rooted in um, any kind of truth. So that's why, that's my story of uh, why I think affirmations are really useful, why I find them to be essential, um, why I think words are so powerful. There was a man, uh, I, I told this story on the London seminar, and I might cut this clip out and, and show it to people who I met in Malaysia, uh, because I believed that in my previous relationship, I'd been uh, hit with some Malaysian black magic. BOMO or BOMI magic, they call it, um, because the mother of my ex-girlfriend told me that she had done that, that she put a love spell on me by doing something weird and putting period blood in my rice and so on and so forth. And I believed it. I lived in the inside of that reality. And I actually met somebody over in Malaysia, um, a real dude. You can look him up if you want. His name is Pak Din, P-A-K-D-I-N. And he took one look at me and he went, mm, love spell. Hmm, your samangat is broken. Now, I'm not sat here telling you that you now need to believe in that as it is. It could all be metaphor. Guy could be a very good psychologist and he comes at it through his understanding of reality and what's important to him. Um, but he told me that uh, he liked me and he thought that it was important that I was healed. Um, I'll tell you why he told me he thought it was important that I was healed of this love spell and that my samangat be fixed. Uh, samangat is a Malay uh, Indonesian word that's not that easy to translate. It's only one word, but it means spirit, will, drive to life, uh, the life force. So that which is inside of you that permits you to love and trust and move forward and get out there and create wonderfulnessness uh, can get broken. Um, if he was a psychologist, maybe he would have looked to me and gone, yeah, this guy's clearly heartbroken because a girl hurt his feelings. That's another, that's their, their words that point to the same truth. They just, they just represent two different maps. But for me at that point in my life, he entered my map of reality where I was, where a psychologist wouldn't have been able to. And he said to me, I'm going to pray for you um, because we need to fix your samanga. And I said, why? And he said, so you can fight the demons of the apocalypse. Yep. That's a part of my life that happened. <laughs> and I went, okay. And he went, no, I can see you don't believe me. And that's okay. I don't need you to believe me. I just need you to do some archery and show me that you can hit a target with a shitty old bow and arrow, uh, which took me like an hour. I was out in a field getting bitten to death by mosquitoes on a really muggy Malaysian day, trying to learn how to, not, not these new modern weighted bows, like a shitty old bow. Uh, shitty old bow and arrow and when I hit the target after a bit he was satisfied and he said yeah fine um, you're okay uh, he was really offhand like everything it's so Malaysian style he was like yeah yeah I'm totally going to fix you now can't really be bothered but I would have did it anyway 
And uh, he said, I know, I know you don't believe me, but um, I'm going to come and start teaching you and your dreams tonight and I'll fix you. And I was like, okay, bro, that sounds freaking awesome. Uh, I, I really liked the dude and uh, I was, you know, I was like, he was very kind to me. He was nice to me. He's, he's into Silat. He's into martial arts. He knew I was into martial arts, psychology and all kinds of stuff. And we chatted about that. And uh, lo and behold, that night, he did actually uh, appear in my dreams and start teaching me. Now, before you go, A, that's bullshit, or B, that's fucking amazing, don't be too astounded. Um, if Darren Brown got hold of you and told you that he was a blah 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 mystic of the blah 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 order of da-da-da-da, and you're, you know, like I was a foreigner in that country. It's a very exotic place. It's very different to the UK, and so I was... You know, all of these things kind of help to induce an, a, a, a post-hypnotic state, a trance-like state. Um, if Darren Brown, which you must all know who Darren Brown is, I presume. It's essential viewing, darlings. Go and look him up on YouTube. Darren, Darren, D-E-R-R-E-N, Brown. If he got hold of you and he ran something like that and told you that he would appear in your dreams, there's a very good chance that he would. I mean, the, all of these things are post-hypnotic suggestions. Or it's his map of reality and, you know, he literally got the old Sufi masters to come and help out and to sort my Samanga out so that I could help to fight the demons of the apocalypse. Maybe. I don't know. Metaphor, isn't it? I mean, uh, how, how it's, to me, that, that's, just, that's just language. That's just how you see the world. It's how you, how you choose to view things. Um, so that's why I think affirmations are useful. That's why I think having a respect for language is useful and a respect for the language that you use inside of your head is really, really important. Uh, so now to the point of why people with CPTSD struggle with affirmations, the traditional affirmations. You shouldn't have a problem with my affirmations, the way I present it, but you'll struggle with the traditional affirmations. Point number one, uh, there's an implicit ideology. God knows what happened in the uh, 60s and 70s in Southern California. Uh, some people have, have made the case that, you know, it's a grand conspiracy. It was a big psyop um, that was there to uh, sort of trauma bond and enslave people so they would blame themselves and they'd never look outside of themselves and they'd never ask for political change. They'd only look for internal change. And if I could just fucking align my chakras a little more, maybe I'd be okay, man. Or if you just keep paying us, we'll remove the thetans that are currently glued to your anus and eventually you'll be clear or whatever the fucking racket is. Um, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of dross came out, a lot of bullshit ideas came out, and they still exist. They're still there to this day. They're complete perversions of the original texts. They're total uh, corruptions of, of the original ideas, uh, some of which just aren't appropriate for the Western mindset. They just, if you're born and raised in the West, you shouldn't be putting that stuff in your head. It's not, it doesn't fit. It's a square peg in a round hole. There are um, I won't go all Slavoj Žižek on you, but what is important to understand with any ideology is to understand that which may be ignored or viewed as um, nonsense, but nobody says it's nonsense, which you won't get if you're not raised in that culture. So you can't, like I realized the hard way, you can't just pick up and consume Buddhism. You can't just pick up Buddhism and Buddhist texts as it is and just consume it as it is because you don't, as a Westerner, we don't have the, the, the right way of, of understanding what it is that is presented there. So a lot of the translations that you get, they're messed up. They're not right. 
Uh, one of the big ones that I've, that I've mentioned a few times and we'll go on about until the day I die probably is the mistranslation of the word ego. So we don't have a word for what they were saying in Sanskrit when they said destroy the ego. We don't have that word. So we just took Freud's idea of the ego and went, oh, it's that. It's, this, it's totally the same. Well, it isn't. And if you get that one small, seemingly small, technical point wrong, and you use the word, the wrong word in the wrong way, you know, it's like these crazy Harry Potter films where people do the wrong spells and they break stuff. Uh, you know, you, you've got to use the right word in the right context. Otherwise, you're doing yourself and other people damage. That's why I jump up and down and make uh, and, and get my knickers in a twist over people misusing the word narcissist or misusing the word psychopath. Um, it's not helpful. It will harm you and it will harm the victims of genuine narcissistic abuse. So there's implicit ideology. An example of that implicit ideology slid like a worm across my, a slimy worm across my desk today. Somebody sent me uh, an email and said, what do you think of this article? It says that basically we are responsible for all of our own emotions. And if there's a problem in the relationship, it's not the relationship, it's not the other person, it's all you. The responsibility is all on you. So before, and she sent me a link, the article, before I'd even opened it, I was like, well, that's fucking gibberish. And every time people come at me with this gibberish, my instant response is, let me meet that person and I will punch them in the face. And then I will say to them, but why, why are you hurt? Why are you you're non-dual, I'm you and you're me. The punch is meaningless. It's really how you respond to the punch that counts. And we'll see, you know, we'll see if they can put their money where their bloody fat-lipped mouth is. Uh, so before I even opened the page, I knew it was going to be gibberish. I'm not going to tell people with CPTSD off. CPTSD off. You're my brothers and sisters in CPTSD. We're, we're CPTSD homies now. So I feel like I can talk to you on a certain level. Some of us are really fucking naive. I opened this webpage, I looked at this article, and I could just see twats everywhere. There was all the other uh, article contributors are in a panel on the left, and they're all like, mm, duck face, mm, Facebook profile picture. They're supposed to be fucking coaching people who are damaged and traumatized into getting back into life. And they're clearly a shower of twats. They're clearly a shower of wannabes. The guy who wrote this particular article looks like a tool. He's a fucking uh, instructor in Tantra. I mean, come on, boys and girls. It's not, it's not that these things don't exist. It's just that you need to pay your fucking bills and stop running. So please, like, please come, come, come back, come back. It's okay. Reality's okay. I know you're scared. I know it hurts but you can't run from pain. You can't keep doing it. I used to have an account called streetfightsecrets.com on YouTube, and I did a really good video called uh, You Must Not Run From Pain. Um, and that was uh, you know, based on another important quantum leap in my recovery in the CPTSD pro process. I realized that at every turn, I was running from certain types of pain. I was running from certain types of discomfort. And psychobabble and spiritual babble and hiding behind a, a fake kind of patronizing demeanor that like you have all the answers and nobody else really seems to. Like when people do this with their voice, you should know that they're probably not being very sincere. 
Did you ever listen to um, the Eckhart Tolle tapes? I used to love those tapes. I, I love Eckhart Tolle. I love him. Love him. What a great dude. Uh, just as he is, just as he is, just for what he says and what he is. I, I really love the guy. But it was uh, produced, I don't know if they still are, but they used to be produced by a, a production company called Sounds True. And before Eckhart Tolle would start to do his bit on these audio tapes, because I used to love listening, to, to just his voice, I just love listening to it. Uh, they, would, they would say, uh, there would be the bong of a Zen bell, and it would go, this, this woman would come on and go, Sounds True presents Eckhart Tolle on the seven levels of consciousness. And every single time I would laugh, I'd be like, that's not your voice. Nobody talks like that. You don't go to the shop and buy a pint of milk in that voice. Could I please have a pint of milk? Actually, I'm lactose intolerant, so <laughs> I'll have the soy. It's bullshit. When people change, when their demeanor changes, when their voice changes, when their face changes, and they start doing this thing. Hello, hello, spiritual. That's the sign. Brothers and sisters of the CPTSD community, stop being so fucking naive. The data is there in front of you. You know when somebody's being a tool. You know when somebody's being a twat. You just look at them and you know this person is not sincere. They're trying to, they're trying to kid me. They're trying to sell me something and they're trying to sell themselves on something. You know, they're, you know, like, I don't know, the third reincarnation of Shakti, Gavana, Buddha, because they don't want to be Bill Jones from Birmingham because Bill Jones from Birmingham is boring. So I want to be called Shakti, Gaboobal, Plumpel, Piffle, Badonk, Adonkadonk. Tawain, because that sounds cooler. Well, what, what is it? What is it that you do, Shakti Gawain Baboon Bodak Donk? Well, I teach people how to realign their tantra. Blah 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 blah. It's bullshit. Who puts your socks on in the morning? It's you, right? Who pays your mobile phone bill? It's you, right? Somebody's got to pay for it. Somebody's got to do. We've got to live in this reality. And that was another little quantum leap, as it goes, as far as all this uh, spiritual stuff with the affirmations around that time in Malaysia was I started to get very into the idea of, of Dharma, of what your life is supposed to be about. And I was like, shit, I've been running all the way around the houses doing this uh, spiritual bypassing with my study of Buddhism. I didn't realize that whatever it is, is whatever it is. So if your Dharma is that you're a white kid born in Bebbington, which is a really dull, non-Buddhist, there's nothing mystical about Bebbington. I lived down the road from Birkenhead. I'd go into like a McDonald's in Birkenhead and I'd be like, there's just no Zen here, man. There's just no Buddhism here, man. There's just misery and poverty and crazy people who want to punch me in the face because they don't like my haircut or something. Um, and so I rejected it. I rejected reality. And I was like, shit, I need to stop projecting reality. That whole thought experiment I did was to help me to, the, my, one of my core objectives was to stop running from pain and stop running from reality and to just accept reality as it is. Don't drift off, you fuckers. If I say accept reality as it is, these become trans words and trans phrases and you start going, oh no, totally, I've already done that. No, I've already done that. Do you want to know how many times I get people in for coaching and they tell me that they're angry with themselves and angry with me and angry with the coaching process because they already did this. But I already covered this. 
I've already done this work. I've already done the, the I did everything. I did it. You didn't. You didn't. You pretended. You play acted. You lied your way through it because you're scared. Because you're in pain. And it's okay. You can be scared. You can be in pain. Let's just sit for a moment and be scared and in pain. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. But running from it, that sucks. That's difficult. That's really, really uncomfortable. So there's an implicit ideology that will wind people with CPTSD up. The whole new age thing, the spiritual bypassing thing, it may very well have been a complete psyop. And this is me coming out of the closet. Ta-da! As a conspiracy theorist. Oh, shame. Uh, I think it, it very likely was. It has all the signs of being a massive psyop to get people more crazy and more fucked up and less effectual. And uh, here's another thing that I focused on a lot in December 2013 when I was living in Malaysia. I was listening to a Joe Rogan thing. Joe Rogan after a DMT trip. And he was talking about how he knows a lot of people who just don't seem to be able to gain any traction in their life. And that sentence played over and over in my head. People who can't gain traction, they can't gain, and that was me, nothing I did. And I was revving the engine really, really hard, but the wheels just kept on skidding through the mud and I couldn't gain any traction until after that month. I stopped running from pain. I cleaned my mind out a little bit, a little bit, and uh, you know, there's, there's still some messy stuff in there. Uh, but I did that through affirmations and some deep belief work change and, and just sitting with pain and literally just going, okay, don't panic. It's just pain. Still me, still here. Not that bad. That's kind of Eckhart Tolle-ish, isn't it? It's not so bad. It's still here in a room with a chair. Maybe the room is a little bit smaller, but still here. That's the best I can do. <laughs> Speaking of impressions and Eckhart Tolle, now we'll come to uh, um, the, uh, the second reason why affirmations, apart from the implicit ideology that will make most people, most people with CPTSD actually have a very strong sense of right and wrong and a very strong sense of reality, but, it's, it, but because it's strong, it's powerful, but it's corrupted. So that they're, they're like, they know, but they don't know. They know that they don't want to know that they don't know. This is what Slavoj Žižek, I keep referencing a philosopher with a Balkan name that you, you guys were like, what are you saying? Slavoj Žižek, I'll spell it, S-L-A-V-O-J-Z-I-Z-E-K. Try and listen to him if you can. He has a lot of very, uh, well, I don't mind them. I don't find them annoying, but other people seem to find them annoying texts. He uh, has a lisp, he has a strong uh, Slovenian accent, and he spends a lot of time pulling his nose and pulling his t-shirt like he's just snorted two fat lines of coke. Um, but I love him, I, th I think the guy is great. And he talks about something, it's a little bit of Freud and a little bit of Lacan. Um, Slavoj Žižek is a philosopher, but he was originally trained as a, as a psychotherapist. Um, and it's called the fetishist split. The fetishist split, Slavoj Žižek talks about it a lot. And a fetishist split, fetish in this context has nothing to do with being tied upside down, hung by your balls and spanked. It's not, it's not fetish in that sense. It's fetish in the Freudian sense. So the fetishist split means that you've kind of regressed into a childlike state where you know that a thing is true, but you can't live with the truth of it. So you split from the reality. So you know, and you know that you know, but you know that you do not want to know at the same time. This is great. It's a very useful concept in psychology, and it's a very useful concept when you're looking politics, 
Syrian refugee crisis, ISIS, where did they get the guns? We know, but we know that we don't want to know. We know the truth of what's going on, but if you really have to look at that stuff, then you might have to, I don't know, get involved in some kind of revolution or something. And that'd be so boring. God, I have other stuff to do. So that's a fetishist split. So the second reason why people with CPTSD find this kind of stuff uh, so annoying is that when you say an affirmation in the standard sense, like uh, this, uh, the Louise L. Hay one, Louise L. Hay would always go back to, to she had a baseline affirmation, which was, um, all, is, all is well in my world. All is well in my world. It's not a bad, like I can totally see why she was doing it. I get the point of it as a baseline affirmation that's glue that holds everything else together. Of course, in order to get any work done, you need to calm the fuck down and relax and think, okay, calm down. All is well in my world. The problem for people with CPTSD is if you do that and you say that, it's going to wind you up because the voice inside of your head is going to go, bullshit nonsense no it's not everything is fucked or if you say an affirmation that is positive about yourself like um uh, i am strong and assertive then the same thing your brain's going to kick off and say bullshit and then you could even induce a full-blown emotional flashback which i would my inner critic would start off and then i would get like a um the golem kicking off i i found some sound clips before I did this Google Hangout. I hope it comes through. Uh, if you've got headphones on, just pull them away for a second because I don't know what the volume is going to be like on this. Oh, that's in German. We don't want that one. We want the one in English. Um, er ist mein Freund. Du hast keine Freund. He is my friend. You don't have any friends. So the Hobbit, not the Hobbit, the Golem says. Da, 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 da. I did warn you about the volume. That kind of, um, in that particular scene, uh, it's Gollum versus Schmeagol. Schmeagol is the uh, the fisherman, the sort of human elf-ish, hobbit-ish type of entity before he becomes this obscene, corrupted uh, drug addict type called Gollum. Um, a Gollum, of course, is a, a Yiddish term for a uh, kind of like a, a monster, a self-created monster. Um, I think the implication is the self-created monster is, is created through greed. And the, he's, in the, he's in the split. He's, he's arguing with himself. Like one part of him wants to kill the hobbits and the other part of him is saying, no, they're my friends. I want to be, be okay with them. And when the good side of him, Schmeagol, says they're my friends, the bad side comes back with, uh, nobody likes you. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. This is a great example of the inner critic at work. I'm just going to play it again, pull the headphones away. You don't have any friends. Nobody likes you. That's great. I love that line. It's fantastic. Oh, stop it. I found it in German. I'm not going to play it to you in German again. I found it in Spanish. Don't listen to it. The German one sounds like the guy who did Gollum. It's really, really good. If you look Spanish Gollum on YouTube, it's bordering <laughs> On being not very politically correct because it just it just sounds like a crazy Mexican voice. It's not very cool. The, the German one though is really good. It sounds just like uh, Andy, whatever his name was, circus or whatever. So that's the voice that would kick off inside of my head that would say if I tried to say something positive, 
it would immediately induce this horrible emotional flashback. Uh, I would try and argue with that golem, that demon inside of my head to, to stop it from, from doing that. Um, but I didn't really get the proper leverage to be able to do that until years later. Um, and one of the big things that helped me to do that was not running away from pain because that golem creature could bully me with my uh, fear of certain types of pain. Um, those types of pain that I wasn't afraid of, you know, I would tell myself I was fearless because I didn't fear external violence or I didn't fear the pain of the pain of violence of being involved in violent scenarios. Because, you know, I spent 10 years in the insecurity industry and my job at one time was just teaching people how to batter other people. And I liked it. I found like it was, you know, for somebody with a certain type of CPTSD response, it was a perfect job. Well, perfectly keeping me inside of my sick traumatic responses of the uh, fight fawn uh, potentially narcissistic um, personality response to the trauma and um, so i had no fear in that sense but i was afraid of shame i was afraid of guilt i was afraid of feeling weak i was afraid of feeling less than and that golem inner critic was able to bully me uh, for years and once i sort of said well now i'm not scared of that do your worst sunshine um, it really died off very, very quickly. So that's the second reason why uh, people with CPTSD can find affirmation so provocative and so annoying. So what's the solution? The solution, I think, is to abandon anything you thought that you understood affirmations to be about. I mentioned on Facebook yesterday about affirmations and people started talking about mirror work. I, was like, I said affirmations, I didn't say anything about mirror work. Um, if you can sit in front of a mirror and tell yourself wonderful things about yourself, then bully for you. I can't and refuse to attempt it because frankly, I think that's silly um, and not necessary. It might be necessary. What might, you know, there is actually, actually, this is, this is a little trick here. A woo. It's a little bit woo. Let me tell, let me, let me, let me give you some a woo hack for uh, um, doing affirmations. If you select an affirmation that you like, and I'm going to teach you in this next section how to construct an affirmation. If you speak any other languages, try saying it in another language. And if you don't mind being a bit silly, uh, which I evidently don't, you can say it out loud in different voices, different accents, and you can sing it. Um, why that works, I'm not sure, except for the fact that it usually makes me laugh. Um, this is me really out on a limb here, just reaching for an explanation. Bandler once said, Richard Bandler once said, um, I remember exactly where and when, I'm paraphrasing him, that when you have a sense of humor about a scenario, the brain sees options. And when you're serious about a situation, the brain sees like lack of options, uh, rigidity, if you will. And the problem tends to stay locked in place. And I noticed when he was doing therapy work with people, he used a lot of humor. I, I try and do the same thing. If I can hold your hand and we can stand side by side and look at a problem together, and I can maybe make you laugh about something that you've never laughed about before in your life, that alone is potentially huge, right? You know, you're now seeing it from a completely different perspective with more hope, with more lightness and, and from a different point of view. So that can really, really help. How should you think about affirmations and how should you form them? Don't think about them as any new age kind of woo-woo shit. Don't think about it as being like law of attraction or, or, or anything like that. Don't think of it as being about the universe responding to your requests. 
Um, think of it like this. The brain is a computer and it follows commands. It has software that runs. Emotional flashback is a kind of spyware, malware, adware, virus that just pops up on your fucking browser when you're trying to do something else and annoys you and stops you from getting on with life. You didn't put it there. You didn't consent to it being there. Some evil fucker put it there. Software is constructed of code. It's constructed of language. That's why they have computer languages um, that is constructed of if not, sometimes it's actual words and sometimes it's, I think it's just like a kind of a syntax or, you know, code is probably a good enough word for it. A code, a language, a syntax, certain sequences of symbols and words and commands create certain effects. That's exactly what's going on inside of your brain. If you can control your inner dialogue for, imagine you control for the next 30 days, for 15 minutes a day, not all in one go, but 15 separate minutes, 60 seconds. You get your little smartphone out, you put a countdown timer on for 60 seconds, and you just think two or three affirmations. You have taken your consciousness back from the hijacker for a total of 15 minutes every day. You're gonna build a foothold. You're gonna build a foothold on taking back your mind from this virus software, from this malware, this adware, this spyware that's inside of your head. It's just code. There's no implicit morality. It's not about whether it's scientific or it's magic or it's religious. It doesn't, don't fuck all that. It's a, it's a total red herring. Please believe me, don't waste your time going down those paths because it is time wasted that you can't get back and we're not here for very long. It's not worth it. And there's many kittens to be stroked and flowers to be smelt and sunsets to be gawped at, isn't there? So let's just not bother with all that. We could argue about all this. And if you let me just give you another little tip, another little hack, another little piece of advice. If you feel the inner self leaping up <gasps> with this like anxious, slightly sweaty, overly emotional drive to argue a technical point, of how affirmations work, whether non-dualism is true or not, whether Tantra or yoga or du-du or du all these things, by the way, I have been studying since I was 10 years old. I'm not just some fucking nitwit out of the gym who decided to jump on YouTube and go, non-dualism's a load of shit. I'm not doing that. Yoga is something that I still practice to this day. And yoga is good. But I don't then make the leap to go, hey, you're a yoga instructor, aren't you? Well, yes, I am. And you changed your fucking name, didn't you? Yes, I did. Can you give me advice on how to deal with trauma, please? Because that's not okay. That's not logical. That's not rational. That's a huge leap. Just because this girl or guy is a yoga instructor and says they studied Tantra one time doesn't mean they have answers for you. They're probably trying to sell something. Not many people, here's the honest truth, folks, and many of you, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, you probably already know this because you've been through so many psychotherapists and counselors, not many people really even want to deal with trauma. Any trauma, it could be a, a, a war veteran, it could be a wife 
who's been the victim of ongoing sustained domestic violence and terrorism in her home. It could be a guy who was married to a narcissistically abusive woman, divorced her, and then he's now in a custody battle for his kids. Trauma, 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 trauma. It's messy work. If I want to shut down a conversation with somebody I'm not interested in talking to when they ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a psychologist who specializes in trauma. If I really don't like them and I really want to piss off, I'll say I'm a psychologist and I specialize in childhood trauma. And then I'll just make deep eye contact like this and wait for them to leave. <laughs> Nobody wants to deal with it. Nobody wants this. And not only does not many people have the, uh, not the, the drive to do it, very few, very, very, very few people have the ability to do it. It's like bomb disposal, like in the movies. If you get, this is what Slavoj Žižek, now you all know how to spell his name because I told you. Slavoj Žižek said about psychotherapy, this is why he chooses not to do it and why he decided to go into uh, um, philosophy instead. He said, with psychotherapy, I could at any moment make an ironic smile to my client thinking they would understand my joke and provoke a reaction in them that would cause them to go and kill themselves. He said, for me, that's too much responsibility. Well, you've got to respect that as a point of view. There's a guy who took the time out to learn how to do it. He's probably brilliant at it, but doesn't want to deal with the responsibility of that. Can't say fairer than that. There's not many people who know how to deal with this. There's a ton of people out there who will write articles that's more, you need to learn to distinguish and be street smart people with CPTSD. Take the naivety goggles off. Let's be street smart. Why does that website, you, you're coming to me and you're going, this website says EMDR causes brain damage. And then the person sends me a link to the website. And I'm like, well, first of all, it's a forum, not a website. Second of all, these people are admitting that they hate their therapist, that they've lied to their therapist, but they didn't want EMDR and they felt like the therapist was pushing EMDR onto them. Yeah, under those conditions, there ain't a single fucking style of therapy that will work. You've lost it. Rapport is gone. There's nothing they can do. There's no magic. All of this therapeutic work, coaching, counseling, whatever you want, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, or whatever the person you're talking to is qualified to give you, it requires consent. It's too consent. Fundamentally, it's two consenting adults who have stated a mutually shared objective for a limited period of time having a conversation. Everything else is a variation on that theme. You know, even EMDR or tapping or whatever, it's a conversation. And if we're not both on the same page, it ain't going to work. There's nothing you can do about that. So how should you um, construct your affirmations? I think it should be very, very simple. I think you should always keep it simple. I, this is how I do it. So the, the simplest base layer, level one, white belt affirmations. I, I am feeling. White belt level, take that down as a note. I am feeling. That's the root structure template for how you create an affirmation that is going to be well-formed. Now I'll give you the extra rules in a minute, the, the, the yellow belt and blue belt rules, if you will. So um, I am feeling. Why I am feeling? One, it should be you. The affirmation's about you. You can't do repeated thoughts and affirmations and expressions of intent or belief change 
that is dependent on the other person. And you will be amazed at how many people ask me to do that whenever I discuss affirmations. I used to do it uh, regularly in the meetup groups in Kuala Lumpur. And I have people say to me, oh, okay, so affirmation, huh? Affirmation, very interesting one. How do I do affirmation that make my flatmate do the dishes more? And I'll be like, that's not what an affirmation is for. It's for you. It's for you. It, you, can't, you can't make somebody else do that. Do you like my Malaysian accent, by the way? You'll be like, what accent is that? If you've never been to Malaysia, it's the weirdest thing. It's a, it's, that's, that's Malaysian accent. It's a crazy thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. What do you want to do, eh? Like, what is that? <laughs> I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to listen more to you. And the other thing, the other thing, if you ever go to Malaysia, it's, it's really funny. If you speak, see that if you say to a Malaysian, do you speak English? They'll go, of course, la, of course. And you go, okay, so you're speaking English right now. Yes, yes, yes. And if you speak English, it's, it's Manglish. Some people call it Manglish. It's Malaysian English. If you speak, if you're an English speaker and you speak English wrong, wrong to them, they get pissy with you. So if you go and say, can I have a water, please? I'd had this experience so many times until I learned to just alter my accent. Like, can I have a water? Can I have a bottle of water? What? What do you want? Water? Water? What water? You're like, water, water. And then somebody else will come along and go, water. And they go, oh, you want water. Why do you say you want water? So it's water. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Am I not speaking my fucking language properly in your country? And they'll be like, God, this crazy white guy, why can't he say water properly? Uh, language, homies, language is some important shizzle. I, because it's about you, you're in your little base camp, your little world sorting you out. That's the control panel, that's the control desk you work from you. Don't create affirmations about other people and what you want other people to do. You say I am because based on a theory that's an unproven theory, there's no there's no published research out there that proves it, but it seems to be true. The unconscious exists in the present, doesn't really have a great concept of time. Like the idea, I will in two years do this. Yeah, that's weak. I am doing this now, even if it's not true now, which is a, it's a real barrier for some people. They're like, what? Why would I say I am confident about public speaking? I'm totally not. That's in the future I will be. And it's like, but the unconscious doesn't understand that. So you've got to do I am now. I am. And then you deal, you say, I am feeling. So you focus the affirmation on feelings, feelings. Why? Because as much as we play this egocentric game, this rational uh, adult minded game that we're, uh, you know, like uh, rational beings who make sensible adult decisions based on weighing up all the options and deciding what's the healthiest and best thing for everybody to do. We're not, we're doing it based on emotion. That which is emotionally charged, that you feel good about, even if it sucks for you in the long term and rationally is going to hurt you, like smoking. So around that time in Malaysia, I was still smoking. I used to smoke. I used to smoke uh, menthols. Yeah, homies. That shit can make you infertile as well. Menthols is real bad. Smoking is bad, but menthols are really bad. But I liked it. And uh, rationally, I was like, yeah, this shit will kill you in the way. It'll kill you. It can be really horrible. It can be, be ghastly death. Uh, but the brain, the unconscious mind is functioning on feelings. It's like, yeah, but it tastes so fucking good, man. So I had to get into the feelings, well, the feelings I had associated around that. This is pure Anthony Robbins, by the way. He wrote a book called Awaken the Giant Within. Great personal development book. Created a system called Neural Associative Conditioning because 
the NLP people told him to stop saying NLP because he wasn't a registered practitioner and they didn't want to be ripped off. So he created something called Neural Associative Conditioning. It's actually a really cool system. And he basically said that whatever you associate the most pleasure to, you're going to do. What you associate pain to, you're not going to do. So if I associate painful feelings to giving up smoking, I'm going to keep smoking. If I associate pleasurable feelings to keeping on smoking, I'm going to keep on smoking. I hope that makes sense. So that's why it's I am feelings. Imagine it is public speaking you want to work on. So the structural well-formedness for public speaking white belt level would be I am feeling confident about public speaking now. And the visualization that would go with that would be a positive experience around public speaking where you in the first person would feel, hear and see, you recreated in the cinema, the virtual reality unit inside your head, what you would want to see in a public speaking scenario, which is you in the zone, you're flowing, you're being really funny, everybody's looking at you, they're like transfixed, like you're so amazing, and they're laughing and you're just doing your thing and everything is cool. I am feeling confident about public speaking. For some of you, that might sound too simple. You're like, that's really dumb. The best techniques out there are ridiculously simple. They just need to be grafted at, drilled, drilled. I used to want to join the military. I used to want to be in the army. Um, I, was, I actually went for the potential officer course for the parachute regiment and the king's regiment when I was a young man and didn't know much. Um, but I was very impressed by military training, by the way in which uh, people would be taught to do things with the assumption that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And that if you're not taught how to do something in a way that is really super simple, then when the mortars are flying in and your mates are exploding next to you, you're not going to remember how to do it and you'll end up, you know, dropping the grenade or pointing the rifle the wrong way or whatever else. They just assume that. They start from that baseline level. Well, I want you to do that. I want you to make this really with a high degree of redundancy so that it, it, it's, it's rock solid, simple, robust, not complicated, don't say things like, I am learning in two years to overcome my CPTSD. Your unconscious mind doesn't know what the fuck CPTSD is. It's not going to be able to do that. But you could say, I am learning. I've already skipped. I've skipped a level. Okay, let's keep it on the white belt level. I am feeling confident that I can learn. Damn it, that's not white belt. I am feeling confident that I am overcoming emotional flashbacks and feeling good instead so you you would put in like a positive thing instead like i feel good and confident instead of anxious angry frozen prison four trauma types anxious angry frozen or a strong desire to fawn uh, suck up to people and, and negotiate my way out of trouble the next level the yellow belt level so that, that's your baseline template that's i am feeling Everything is, is based on that. But that is not enough for people with CPTSD. That won't work in and of itself. You're going to hit roadblocks within three steps. You'll be like, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going to do it. Dum, 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 boom. Okay, I can't do this anymore. You need your next level, your yellow belt level stuff. Why do you need that? With CPTSD, there is a kind of like this inner golem, this inner critic, this inner demon wants to stop you from moving forward. It's not you. It's a colonized hijacked part of your brain it's a virus that you've got on board uh, an, an errant piece of software that's out of control that is stopping you from moving forward it may even have a positive intent the intent may be i i 
uh, I'm going to stop you from moving forward because I don't like the idea of you flourishing or it frightens me or whatever else. Okay. So how do you overcome that? The next level, the yellow belt level is to learn how to speak in what I'm calling legal ease or political speak. So if I just say, I'm this guy who wants to be confident in public speaking, which I already totally am. So why would I want to do that? I am confident about public speaking or I am feeling good about public speaking. Well, the brain is going to say bullshit. You don't. And in CPTSD, that is a stubborn. No, you fucking don't. No, you're not. So legalese or political speak means you put extra words in there the way that they would have them in a legal document. I can learn to begin the process of starting to feel good about doing public speaking at a time when it feels safe for me to do so. So that's your next level. The first level is not enough for people with CPTSD. They need another level, which is you put in other pieces. It's, and it literally will, your affirmation will look like a short piece. It won't look like an entire legal document, a legal contract, but a piece of a legal contract. It's like I, the undersigned, hereby declare that starting from tomorrow, I'm exploring the possibility that maybe one day I could learn to feel a little more confident only as quickly as it takes me to learn to make people laugh, to feel good while I'm speaking, to smile, make eye contact and feel good. I can't get into it today because there isn't enough time here. There is a blue belt level to this. So your white belt level, I am feeling. Your yellow belt level will be adding this legalese or political speak. Uh, I say it's, uh, I, I, I don't want to be angry all the time. So you're like, I want to feel good all the time. I don't want to be angry. I want to be cheerful. God damn it. I want to be cheerful now. Uh, okay. So you say, I am learning. I am feeling cheerful. That's your white belt level. CPTSD response is bullshit. No, you don't. You're really angry. Um, so you say, well, I am learning to explore the possibility on a daily basis of practicing the discipline of feeling more cheerful. That's a yellow belt level. Your blue belt level requires a better than average understanding of hypnosis, meaning you're actually going to use and don't get freaked out by this. That is, this sounds complicated, but I swear it really isn't. From NLP, they have something called the meta model. Well, that's from linguistics, the meta model, which you maybe might want to look up if you have time. And from that, they created the Milton model. All that this means is they found a way of talking to people, just conversational hypnosis, like I do in my videos all the time. I'm using the meta model. I'm using the Mil Milton model all the time in these YouTube videos, which is why if you like them and you feel like they make you feel good and they feel like they make you saner and more able to get on with your life, that's because I'm doing my fucking job. That's because I'm firing at you loads of post-hypnotic suggestions to feel good, to overcome the things that used to disempower you, to feel like you, you can overcome them, and so on and so forth. I can't do it in this video. That's your blue belt level. And you need to have a better than average understanding. The average understanding of hypnosis is all focused on how to get people into trance. And then, so be, you do go do a seminar on hypnosis. You do 90% will be how to induce trance. 10% will be what do you say to people when they're in trance? Well, imagine you're a hypnotherapist and I'm a hypnotherapist and we have a client here and he wants to feel more confident about public speaking. We spend ages getting him into trance. 
10 minutes getting him into trance and then five minutes saying to him, you feel confident now about public speaking. You feel confident now about public speaking. And sometimes that can work. It can. Sometimes you just tell somebody, like you put them in a trance and say, you do feel better, Frodo Baggins. And because you're that Gandalfian character who's like, oh, the wizard, uh, they, you, it, they accept it and it goes in and that can work. But with C that's for neurotypicals, usually. For people with CPTSD, there's a bit more of a fight there. Like, who the fuck are you telling me? Why am I sat in this chair pretending to be asleep? Maybe you're going to do something creepy with me. Maybe you're going to give me one of those post-hypnotic suggestions that makes me bark like a chicken and peck like a dog. Um, none of which works, by the way. That's all a fallacy. It's all made up. You can't make people do anything that they don't want to do uh, with hypnosis. Um, so what in NLP, what they figured out is not it's not just about getting people into trance. In fact, getting people into trance isn't really all that necessary. You're in as much of a trance right now as you need to be, to be for me to give you post-hypnotic suggestions. It's then what you say that forms the post-hypnotic suggestions. And we're going to have to cover that on another day because I've been waffling on for an hour and 15 and I haven't answered a single fucking question. Boom. That's what's up. Question time. Yeah. Casey Smith says, okay, not a question. Seriously, seriously, bro. But if anyone else can't see the video here, what finally worked was watching it on YouTube, then hitting the link to the Hangout on the YouTube page. Just go, I, I accidentally deleted what you said. I'm sorry, I didn't realize there's a technical problem. Oh no, there you are, you're still here. Ah, oh, very good. Uh, just go to his channel and this is the most recent video didn't realize it was a technical problem sorry sorry everybody Susan says I've listened to Richard so many times that is that now his voice alone offers me comfort word homie don't you worry about a thing it's every little thing is going to be all right I am on G plus it says live video broadcast will begin soon did it start yet Whoa, this has not gone well, has it? We've had technical problems the entire time and I didn't even know. Chrissy says, is that why some people have a hard time accepting compliments and often feel the need to explain themselves? Yeah, basically, basically, yeah. Um, a hard time accepting compliments could be a negative self-image based on uh, you know, a little bit of emotional abuse and negative uh, self-perceptions. Um, and their constant need to explain themselves can be because they're raised in an environment where they were bullied with a lot of guilt and shaming for all of their behaviors. It's, it's horrible. It's, it's heartbreaking to see in an adult because all I can see is like, God, what an awful experience that must have been for you as a child. Um, uh, Jeff says, did you use external reminders for these affirmations? Yes, Jeff, I did. And thank you for reminding me. You're my external reminder, Jeff. You're my external reminder, mate. Boys and girls, when you want to do this, what I did was I set alarms on my phone. Um, and I had like a whole process where I would, I, I, I would make, uh, obviously, I already admitted that I didn't do it for the whole month. Like there were days that I missed, but I tried to do it as much as possible. The alarm goes off on the phone. You withdraw from whatever scenario you are, pretend to go to the bathroom, whatever. You go away, you set the timer on your phone 60 seconds and you look at the phone or you look at your hand or you do something that breaks your state and fires off a ritual. So you have 60 seconds 
where you are in total control of your consciousness. There's no repetition of bullshit from the past or anything else. There's just pure love and light and unicorn farts going straight into your cerebral cortex. Uh, Sally says, I do not want to get off topic today, but to make a special request to please put on your to-do list, the hypnosis audio you offered to do, mindset to take effective action, malware day two, last video Q&A, 015, 0514, regarding the workplace. Uh, um, please, Sally, please send me a email with the subject title, um, Sally says boo boo. Uh, Bronte says, Richard, I would like to know if I can buy your seminar for $90 today. You sure can because I haven't changed the price yet because I've been busy doing other things and I'm a bit disorganized. I have all your other material. I really appreciate your work. Yes, working on this. I am retired. Yeah, it's still at $90. It was supposed to end after Christmas, but because the person who's in charge of that website hasn't updated it. Jen. Jennifer, I also have an off-topic question today. Can you tell us how to overcome the sexual attraction to narcissists? You once said everyone thinks their narc looks like a famous actor. Mine is a famous actor, and his sexual attraction is insane. What can I do? Um, okay, Jen, uh, this is probably a great topic for a whole other Google Hangout. Uh, what I would recommend for you is to look at a concept called self-abandonment and CPTSD. Uh, the only reason why this person has uh, kind of acquired like a godlike uh, eros, erotic status in your life is because you've abandoned your own um, sexuality and you don't really know what makes you tick and what you're about. Um, a recommendation for men and women uh, if you've got time, <laughs> you'll, you'll need it, uh, would be to read, uh, it was called Women on Top, and then they sensibly changed the name of the book to My Secret Garden. Um, just, you don't need to read the whole thing, but you should look at and explore what it is that you're about and get your coordinates, because a lot of people don't know what they're really about. Slavoj Zizek, we all know how to spell his name now. Slavoj Zizek said, cinema is the most pervert art form. The reason being is that it doesn't just teach you what to want, it teaches you how to want. And his position on sexuality in the modern Western world is that it has a kind of a faux modern Western adaptation of Buddhism, where it's like, do it, but don't do it too much. Don't get too involved. Don't get lost in it. Think of the health benefits of having sex blah, 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 to paraphrase uh, Mr. Zizek. Um, that's not real sexuality. Uh, I, I think that men, I used to say that women were bigger self-editors when it came to sexuality, but that's because I was culturally indoctrinated to disregard men's needs and feelings, which we all do. It's a game that men and women play. And it needs to stop, damn it. Uh, and then when I spoke to more male clients uh, about stuff that was related to you know sex and sexuality i realized they didn't know either so there was a very i perceive there was a very heavy self-editing of women's sexual thoughts but actually men are just the same they, they heavily self-edit their thoughts uh, and you need to stop doing that if you get your coordinates jen as to what it is that makes you tick you'll see why this guy is 
uh, spinning your props, as it were, spinning your propellers, to use a quaint British expression so effectively. Um, and it's probably not the reasons you think. Sam Vaknin, in a conversation I had with him privately via email, I think this was, told me that uh, narcissists aren't only attracted to codependence. They can actually find a perfectly normal human being, but they function as a kind of a, a human being blender and they can chop a person up and turn them into whatever they want. So if he is a famous actor, uh, maybe that's the thing that makes him so sexually attractive. He's like this alpha male, every a woman wants him. What woman, you know, is it a genetic, biological, evolutionary thing where every woman wants him, but he wants you? Well, that sounds very exciting to me. Uh, or it could not be that. He could, you know, you've got to explore all the icky stuff here. It could be something to do with your father. And that doesn't mean, it's not purely Freudian, like, oh, you like him because he reminds you of your dad. It could be you like him because he's the opposite of your dad. Or it could be you like him because he's the last person your dad would want you to be having sex with. That's quite naughty and fun as well. So there's a lot here that needs to be looked at. And unfortunately, I can't do it in this hangout. If enough people ask me to cover it, I will cover it in another hangout. But great question, Jen. Thank you. <clears throat> Bronte7, thank you so much. Would you consider coming to the USA for a seminar? I am indeed, uh, possibly at the end of this year, uh, New York. Uh, and California would be definite, um, but there's a lot of other things that I need to do this year as well. So uh, no promises, but yes, definitely USA is on the cards. Pam says, I I've been using the affirmation of, I'm going to remain calm in the face of adversity. I am going to remain calm in the face of adversity. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, any suggestions to help me add to that, to help me stand up to my abuser? Ooh, uh, and Wrong tool, wrong tool, wrong place, wrong time, we would say in the self-protection community. Uh, this is not the best way for you to learn to stand up to your abuser. Uh, let me continue with your question. My affirmation helps, but is far inferior to my situation with my BPD, MPD, OCD husband. Yeah, affirmations. It's a bit, it's a bit of a blunt tool for, for dealing with face-to-face -face confrontation with a narcissist. Uh, the main thing, if you're forced into uh, constant contact with, and people ask me about this all the time, uh, the main thing when you're forced into contact with somebody who, who is a narcissistic abuser is you must, and your brain is going to fight me on this, and it's going to be like, no, don't do that. Do this instead. Da, 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 da. The core issue is the emotional flashback that they send you into. If you can overcome the emotional flashbacks, if you can diminish your CPTSD, and remember, these fuckers have got their fingers in the wounds, they're pouring salt, vinegar, Tabasco sauce, garlic mayo, right in there, and really trying to keep those wounds open. So it's really about dealing with those emotional flashbacks. If you can get to a place where you diminish the emotional flashbacks, you'll make yourself much less open to... Um, being hurt by this person and I'm going to remain calm in the face of adversity is too vague and too it's too let's just stay with the word vague for your situation um, you would need to use several affirmations that would pertain to specific strategies that he uses against you which forces you to go away and think about what specific strategies he's using against you uh, maybe your homework for tonight and for anybody else listening this who fancies it write down five things you know that that person does to wind you up and look at them 
write them down, make it external, look at it and go, this is what this guy or this girl does just to hurt me, just to provoke anxiety or rage. They're like, they're like amazing psychologists because they will provoke whatever your trauma response is, whether it's like abandonment issues, abandonment, anxiety, rage, or, or freezing or whatever, they'll push those buttons hard. They'll just push them, push them. So you've got to deal with the emotional flashbacks first. The affirmations that you use should be a support system for you dealing with the emotional flashbacks. Uh, and you need to, the affirmation should be specific to things that he actually does. So when he brings up uh, the children, so the affirmation is going to need to be really specific as well. And it probably should use some of the stuff I'm going to talk about in the next hangout about this. Uh, when he uses the children, I don't know if you have like, but I'm just reaching for an example. When he uses the children to provoke me into an emotional flashback, I will remember to always X. I know that he is doing Y and my response in the future is going to be Z. The golden rule when you're dealing with the cluster B personality is they're feeding on your emotional response. When you withdraw the emotion, oh, they feel it. They feel it. They suffocate. They suffocate, which is why my first piece of advice to you is diminish the emotional flashback, diminish it, and you diminish its power over you. Thanks for the question. It's a great one. Uh, uh, Jen says, thank you, Richard. You were spot on. <laughs> thank you. Well, no, I do try. Uh, would you do a Google Hangout on sexual attraction one time? Yeah, that would be fun. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you. Uh, this is working on YouTube for me, but not on G+. Is it just me? KAT says, no, apparently it's been a problem. Thanks, Google Plus, for annoying everybody who've asked to come to this hangout. Rebecca says, <clears throat> do we? Oh, oh dear. Oh dear, where's Rebecca's one gone? Hello. Just got the knowledge, because although that is a large part of recovery, you need to learn how to apply the vital tactics so they can make progress and life changes. I was diagnosed with borderline personality and CPTSD about eight months ago after a complete mel. I presume that's going to say melt, meltdown. Yeah, that can happen. Uh, Laura says, thank you, Richie. Great help as always. You must not run from pain. So true. How to do this at workplace versus relationships. Um, well, if it's, if it's in the workplace, again, you know, you, you could be looking at a situation which is so preloaded with abuse that you are just going into a meltdown because of uh, emotional flashbacks. So, so today, you know, Tuesday, the 23rd of February, you're wound up about stuff that was happening way before. And then if you're being mobbed in the workplace, you're going to look the way they want you to look, which is crazy and oversensitive, hypersensitive. Petra asks, not meaning to sound rude, but I was wondering if you could answer the questions from the beginning of the webinar. A lot of folks are now posting questions, which is pushing the others way down to the bottom of the list. Of course I will, Petra. Listen, I am not some disgusting capitalist, Western decadent pig dog. Tavarish, I am good socialist. I will answer everybody question. Nobody is on top. Nobody is nothing. Everything horizontal and flat. Uh, Elizabeth says, what do you think about the 12-step affirmations and sayings? I have taken a solemn vow, Elizabeth, to never talk about the 12-step program on this channel, and I'm sticking to it. You can make of that what you will. Uh, 
Matthias says, can things that get lost in a divorce become a part of your CPTSD? Like I lost almost everything to my ex and now I have hard going to my former home or house and how to deal with it if so. Oh, and that, why has that disappeared? Oh, it's back, okay. <clears throat> can th okay, Matthias, uh, there's confusion here. Can things that get lost in a divorce become a part of your CPTSD? Like I lost almost everything to my ex and now I have a hard time, I presume you mean, going to my former home and how to deal with it if so. Uh, well, don't overcomplicate it and turn it into a psychological issue. Think of it as a practical down to earth issue first and foremost, before you start looking for um, things that are a little bit more complex. Uh, you lost a lot of things in a divorce and now you're upset about that. That's a rational response. Uh, when you go to the house where your ex still is and you feel like that's a, a, a place where you lost a lot of things, you get upset about it. Of course you do. That's a natural response. That's a natural response to having lost um, a lot of things and a natural part of your grieving process. Um, it's not necessarily anything to do with uh, CPTSD. Uh, of all the things a human being can experience, divorce is in the top 10 for the most emotionally upsetting and traumatic things you can experience. So yeah, you might just be having a totally normal response and CPTSD might not be coming into that. Uh, Bronte seven, would you consider the emotional response of crying as a flashback? Sometimes it comes out of nowhere. Um, not necessarily. Uh, sometimes you should cry uh, from out of nowhere. Uh, you might be in a good place in your life and you might have the space and the time to grieve for something that's gone before. You might be having a moment when you realize how fleeting and precious all life is and that brings tears to your eyes and you cry. Um, something could be sad and beautiful at the same time. It could be beautifully sad. Uh, there's a taboo around crying and there shouldn't be. You know, if you want to cry, then just cry. That's okay. So, no, I don't consider the emotional response of crying a flashback, uh, even if it comes out of nowhere. But certainly an emotional flashback that, come, that could manifest as crying that seems to come out of nowhere, but it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming from a flashback. Oh, I'm trying to go through these as quick as I can. May I drink some water, please? I imagine you say yes. Here's a good one. This is a good uh, title for a, a Google Hangout. How do you uncatholic yourself? Masturbate frequently, loudly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> long story short, Catholic school, guilt, self-loathing. Don't believe any of the church's teachings at all anymore, except the guilt and self-loathing. Like I need to earn anything positive, but I never actually can. Um, there's nothing specific uh, to the Catholic process that is, you know, any, any different than removing toxic shame and uh, neurotic guilt that has come about from abuse uh, anywhere. You know, you could have been raised by Jesuits, you could have been raised by Protestants, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jainists, Animists, Voodoo, and it really wouldn't matter. Uh, pain is pain and trauma is trauma and toxic shame is toxic shame. Um, yeah, how did I un-Catholic myself? I, I fought that shit hard from a very, very young age. I really, really did. So it wasn't, it wasn't that bad for me. I knew that they were full of shit. I knew they were lying. I knew they didn't have a clue. I knew from the moment I saw them eating the flesh of Christ that they were 
they're off their heads and that there was somebody somewhere had been taking mushrooms and they came up with that ritual. Eat the flesh of the dead God. He rose again. He was dead and he came back and now we're drinking his blood. Really? And the children as well? Yes, yes. Giving the blood of the Lamb of Christ to the truth. Yeah, no, no, you're fucking crazy. Um, but it's if it, if it did go in, then, you know, it's the same as any other kind of, uh, of trauma. You know, you've got to remove it. You've got to get in there. That malware, that adware, that spyware is, uh, is predominantly toxic shame. It's a, it's a clever trick. If you want to traumatize an entire uh, religi religious following, you know, uh, don't let the priests be sexually active. Tell them to, you know, to like strap their genitals down. And if their genitals come up to beat themselves and tell the little girls and the little boys that their wee wee winkies are, are naughty and bad. And you guarantee that the kids will grow up sexually obsessed and um, repressed and unhappy and uh, full of, you know, strange longings and desires because it's not being expressed properly. Whereas in other cultures where it's just like, yeah, sex, meh, there won't be that silly um, neurotic sort of guilt and stuff to, to do with uh, with sex and sexuality. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a crazy bunch, aren't they? I was, uh, yep, Catholic family. I know what that one looks like, but yeah, I, I just started fighting from day one. Um, a good question, Casey, very good question. Treat it as toxic shame the same way you would any abusive relationship. Treat them, treat the mother church as an abusive parent and the information they put inside of you as uh, toxic shame. Tony asks, hi, Richie, could you address how to deal with idealizing and unwanted, with idealizing and unwanted memories of the narc? I left mine over a year ago. The brain only wants to remember the good stuff. I assume it's cognitive dissonance. How do I get the tape to stop playing? Yeah, man, that sucks. That really sucks. The way that I started to frame it is uh, like, a, like um, I was into The Sopranos when that was out. That was a great series. I was like, it's like, at some biological level, there's a, there's a bunch of um, gangsters inside of my head and they want to bully me back into this relationship, kind of like, you know, pay your debt or break your legs type of a scenario. And uh, I did wonder for a while if it was a pair bonding, just a biological thing, or maybe because as other people have asked, this evening the sex was good and intense and maybe that's what i'm craving and blah 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 or is it just biological pair bonding is it that my gene you know, some genetic you know this is evolutionary psychology which is always dodgy some genetic function has kicked in where i go well, my genes will mix with her genes it has to be her and there's no reason there's no logic to it nowadays i would think of it more as being uh less about cognitive dissonance and more about trauma bonding and in order to understand that fully uh, you've got to go and read. There's tons of good information out there. They're mainly American websites. Uh, good information about how to break free of cults um, and cult psychology. And trauma bonding is a term that I got from reading uh, cult psychology websites when I was researching why women wouldn't leave uh, domestically relationships where there was a lot of domestic violence, where they're physically being hit. Um, and trauma bonding was a, was a good explanation of, of what comes up. So why do you still have these weird, idealized and unwanted memories of the narcissist? Um, because of trauma bonding. And you should also look, you don't have to read it all. 
because you might find it triggering. You don't have to watch the film because it might be triggering for you. But 1984, by the end of 1984, uh, the person who is targeted, interrogated and tortured falls in love with the person who's torturing him. And he really does love him and he really does love the system that's, that's tortured him uh, to the point of being broken. There's a great line actually in that film uh, where the person, I think it's called O'Brien, is torturing the uh, main protagonist. And he says, there are things we will do to you here that will never be undone. You will never again know joy or happiness or blah, blah, blah. And he goes and gives him this big speech. Um, but in the end of it, the person who's targeted kind of loves the person who's, who's done this term, uh, trauma bombing. It's a, it's a very, very powerful effect. It's very, very sad. Uh, how do you get the tape to stop playing? You would need to treat it uh, as though it were, were trauma bonding and remember that these tapes that are playing are not your tapes. They've been put there by somebody else and that they are sick. Um, and they're probably manifesting as a, as a kind of a, an emotional flashback. Don't push them away. The more you push them away, the more you'd be creating like a sort of a sexy taboo. It's like, no, I mustn't. I'm, oh, it's, no, it's naughty. I will care. Okay, well, you know, don't do that. Just accept it for what it is and go, yeah, okay, there it is again. It's kind of boring, but whatever. Um, alter your attitude to it as an invading piece of uh, material. That's, that's inside you. Wow, there's a lot of questions here. Elizabeth asks, I've noticed that men that cause me to feel a lot of fear become the most attractive to me. Does that mean I should not date until I've done more affirmations and have changed my programming and reduced my CPTSD. Yeah, definitely, Elizabeth. Don't, if you're only attracted to men who are frightening you, uh, then that's your intuition or your brain telling you that the guy is an asshole who's potentially dangerous and you should take that danger seriously. I'm gonna just leave it at that. Take that danger. So people are killed all the time, you know, by, other humans in all kinds of scenarios, not beaten up, killed to death. Murder is a thing that people do to each other. Uh, so yeah, if you've got um, an attraction to men who frighten you, yeah, it's definitely time to press the, uh, press the button and just be like, okay, I'm gonna stop now. I, I had a similar thing. It wasn't women who frightened me, it was women who I knew were not good. And I just went celibate for a couple of years. And if that's a problem for you, uh, cowboy the fuck up and deal with it. If that's what you've got to do, cold turkey, it worked for me. Uh, that's the best advice I could give you, though. Take that one seriously. Um, Nick asks, I'm going to beat a dead horse. Good for you, Nick. The horse probably deserves it. I've already molested your other social media. The sex topic, yes, please. It was a huge tie for me being with a somatic. Okay, I'll do it. I'll definitely do it. Dennis. Hi, Richie. When I'm in a full-blown flashback, this happened today, I have intense feelings of being detached and totally unreal. It's a flight-freeze response. I'm also pretty certain I'm about to drop dead at any minute. Seriously, do you think affirmations will help me at all? As a support to changing the beliefs that are holding the, uh, the, the flashbacks in place? Yes. But as a direct this is how to uh, handle an emotional flashback to a degree. Uh, Pete Walker outlines 13 steps to handling emotional flashbacks. And some of those 13 steps could function as affirmations. One of the steps is um, 
I am no longer a child and uh, I have, I'm an adult with resources and friends and support available to me and I will use it. That functions as a perfectly adequate affirmation that would directly attack a CPTSD, uh, directly counterattack a CPTSD flashback. Um, but affirmations for dealing direct, it's, it's, it's not the strongest. I, for me personally, I don't, it, affirmations are part of what you should be doing, uh, but they're not the whole toolkit, no. I hope that helps. Uh, I know that people who've suffered narcissistic abuse sometimes have emotophobia. Um, any tips on how to thaw that? Um, what did I do with my emotophobia? Yes, I, I think I actually created a course. Uh, it's an audio course that went inside of the self-assertiveness course that was all about self-assertiveness and boundary creating. It's, uh, the emotophobia is, is, is because of uh, weak boundaries. Poor, if I say you have weak boundaries, that's going to shame you. So I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say that um, due to experiences that were outside of your control that you didn't consent to over the years after a prolonged exposure to um, abusive patterns of speech and thought and, and behavior, there were holes knocked in your ego boundaries, like the walls of a castle. They were mortared, there are holes there. So that's now porous, meaning that your emotions can flow out where they shouldn't and other people's emotions can flow in where they shouldn't. In psychology, that's referred to as a weak ego boundary and not a strong ego boundary. I had very weak ego boundaries, which meant that if somebody else was feeling bad, I really felt bad for them on their behalf. That's, that's on one level, that's just pure codependency. There is something else which is like slave training, which is that I was also raised in an environment where if I said no, I could be punished ferociously just for having the temerity of saying no, which meant, and every boundary is a no. So the tip uh, on, on dealing with emotophobia, I don't want to plug the self-assertiveness course, but there is a pretty good audio hypnosis in there that gets loads of great feedback from people if they can stand listening to my voice that is all about you know, creating that boundary of saying your problems are your problems, my problems are my problems, you're an adult, I'm not responsible for alleviating you from pain, you're responsible for making your own life comfortable and so on. It's like very straightforward, uh, quite old fashioned traditional hypnosis around that subject. That would be my tip. I think that's probably the best thing I can, I can offer you. If you don't want to buy that, which is fine, then those are the kinds of affirmations I would do. Emotophobia is a lack of you're you and I'm me. Uh, Terence McKenna would talk about how psychedelics would break down boundaries between people. And he saw that as a good thing. And it can be a good thing. Uh, it can be a good thing to have boundaries broken down. He said, you know, you even break down the boundary between you and your washing machine cool you know now we're in a non-dualistic tripped out psychedelic state where everything is one and me and my washing machine are one cool for a period of time but even terence mckenna who was a staunch advocate of psychedelics said you need an ego and you need ego boundaries so that you put the food into your own mouth not the other person's that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to feed yourself you're not supposed to go into a restaurant and walk up to strangers and put the food in there that's their job so uh, that would be my advice for emotophobia. You guys are firing questions at me faster than I'm answering them. This is, I'm going to be awake for a while here. 
Pam asks, thanks for the spot on response to my first question about my OCD, BPD, MPD husband. We've been in couples therapy for quite a while. He refuses to be honest and sets rules on me during therapy. Is there any hope for us here or is another tactic better? Uh, if, okay. Pam, if he has NPD, y'all can't go to therapy. Well, y'all can go to therapy, but ain't nothing going to happen. It's a, it's a, it's a lost cause. I'm sorry uh, to, you know, if he really has a personality disorder and it really is NPD or, or, or BPD and OCPD, no, no therapy is going to get through because therapy requires humility and uh, adult to adult honest communication and consent and uh, willingness to change and why would anybody change if they're absolutely perfect sorry to be such a downer let's see if max can cheer us up max maxine come people don't want to hear me drum on all the time they want to see your floppy face maxine look what's that then look good boy max why this is boring isn't it why are you talking to that laptop when you could be putting biscuits in my mouth yes is wise, infinitely wise. Okay, Rebecca says <clears throat> that help with negative thoughts and are validating and having a positive effect on my life. That's cool. It's mad, really. At 31, suffering all my life and stuck in this life and the dynamic always attracting, being drawn to abusing people that sucks the life out of you. I feel you. Um, but you can do better. You can change. You can do all kinds of cool stuff. Um, that you don't even realize you can do. And, you know, uh, who knows how awesome life could be? That's what I would tell myself at the worst times. You have no idea. Rationally, I'd be like, dude, rationally, philosophically, you have no idea how awesome life could be. And I really didn't know at the time. Pam says, thanks, Max. That made me smile. <laughs> well done, Max, your boy. Your helpful boy. Uh, <clears throat> Carolina says, so far, this sounds like a combination of a camphroid Sassar, I can't even pronounce that dude's name, homie, Derrida, with the unconscious talk therapy, language stability, ideology, and objet petit. Am I following the main philosophy here? Yeah, kind of, but like I only know about those dudes, uh, like uh, Sassar, I've, I've never heard of. Lacan and Derrida, I only ever heard of um, through Slavoj Zizek, through listening to Slavoj Zizek. Uh, Freud, yes. Talk therapy, yeah, that's me. Language stability, ideology, yeah. You got to throw in a bit of Terence McKenna, Robert Anton Wilson there. Uh, if, like neurolinguistic programming is is pretty important to me. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think you got it. Uh, okay. In addition, this reminds me a lot of. Oh, oh, this is Carolina again. In addition, this reminds me a lot of Leslie Marmon Silco's novel Ceremony, which in my opinion is about CPTSD and healing through the concept of stories. Have you read it? I have not. It sounds cool though. Uh, am I answering the most recent ones first? This is not proper socialist reform, comrades. Let me go to bottom. Ah, okay. I, I, I'm working with Google Plus here and it's, it's, it's a nightmare. So I'm going to do this the other way. E4-1000. Hello, E4-1000. Pleasure to meet you. Hmm. I've managed to turn the tables around on my narcissistic ex-girlfriend. I simply, over time, got rid of the illusion and took on the predator role. Ooh. Her shininess is gone and I find myself completely disinterested. I'm a skilled piss taker, having been at the receiver. And then it, and then it stops there. 
yeah, that can help uh, switching around the, uh, the roles from predators of prey. It can put you into a different mindset, which can help you recover and move on. Rose, what were you striving for, Richard? Can you be more specific on the terms of your affirmations? If it's not too personal, please. Uh, that's slightly embarrassing to say that I actually can't really remember. Um, slightly embarrassing and slightly relieving as well because it, it didn't it didn't become a thing. Like I have to consciously go back and remember that time for my clients, and it's the first time I talked about it in public because I thought this is probably a useful story for, for people to get. Um, I wanted to move on with my life. I wanted to not be living where I was living. I wanted to have choices. Uh, I, there was one thing very specific. I, I got this, uh, this, this concept of um, being a mensch. And I, I'd heard somebody say, oh, th this guy, an older guy, made me a mensch. He made me the man I am today. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not a man really i'm not functioning as a man i'm sort of a, a man child boy thing stunted in my development so one of the things was i really wanted to be a man oh hegemonic ideology the masculinity it's all a trap well if you don't like it that way a functioning adult uh, a responsible human being the best element of being uh, you know, a grown-up, somebody who could function in the world and take responsibility on. And I was failing people. I was failing the people who were following me on Spartan Life Coach because I, I was doing good and I was doing better, but I didn't really have choice. I, I felt my own sort of powerlessness a little bit. So that was one of the things, but a lot of the other stuff I don't really remember. It's, it's a, no, it's not too personal. It's a perfectly valid question. Margie, Hello, Margie. Thank you for saving us time wasted on things that won't work that way. I was feeling not quite into it and was going down that road. Cool. I'm doing my job. If, 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 that's, if that's what's happened, then I'm doing my job and that makes me happy. What do you think about ayahuasca, says Mary? It helped me understand the truth of my three-year abusive relationship and actually be with my emotions. Do you think therapy combined with shamanic psychedelic treatments will help victims understand their trauma, says Mary? I honestly don't know. Ayahuasca, I've never done it, so I don't know. Uh, I took LSD uh, a number of times when I was younger and it gave me some insight, but then I also read books and went to seminars that gave me amazing insight as well. Some people I've spoken to over the years have suggested that I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the LSD. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it was, I read a lot of William S. Burroughs, man. I hope too, you know. So. Drugs is a, is, a, is a tricky one, and I just don't know enough about ayahuasca. So uh, I had one client who was really, really, really in a bad place, and she did 20 sessions, 18, session, 18 one-hour sessions with me that, were, that, was, that was hard work, and she worked very hard. And it was tough. And then one day she said, I don't want to work with you anymore. I want to go and take ayahuasca. And I said, please don't. Please stay with me for another five or six sessions and then make your mind up. And she disappeared for a while and she came back, she'd done the ayahuasca and she felt better. So what does that tell you? Not very much, I guess. Just please be careful. It's powerful, powerful, powerful drugs. And uh, the problem with the ayahuasca, which will be the same thing as acid, do you like roller coaster rides? I fucking hate them. 
And once you're on that ride, you're on it for 12 hours. You can't get off. And crying doesn't help. <laughs> Mummy, I'm scared. <laughs> I, once did, I once did a trip and I left uh, Bill Hicks on video. Show uh, my age now in the background. And Bill Hicks was doing uh, Goat Boy, Goat Boy impressions. I was fucking so scared. I was hiding behind the couch off my head on acid. As Bill Hicks was going, good boy. Jackie says, completely agree on the repetition. I drive myself nuts going over the same time and time again and want to stop now. Yep, I feel you. Jeff says, funny, I can say that does work, Rich. I used that during my therapy sessions when I first realized my ex had been abusing me for six years. Oh, yeah, you asked me the question about external reminders, didn't you? Cool, glad it worked. Uh, Matthias said, you should come to Sweden too. Dude, I was living in Malmo for about six months. Um, really sorry. This is not that long, about a year ago. This time last year, I was still living in Malmo. Uh, I didn't do any meetups when I was there. Very, very busy the whole time I was there. Um, but I liked it. I would probably come back to uh, Sweden as well. Uh, do, 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 do. Rebecca says, all right, buddy. Ain't got a question, to be honest. Would just like to comment and say I'm a big fan of your videos and have been following now for many months. For anyone that haven't tuned in before and this is your first time, this is the place and the place to be and one and one of to be continued. Alrighty. I'm going to take a few more questions and I'm going to have to stop because I'm running out of steam here. Uh, Anna and you ask a good question. Anna Banana asks hi there did you use affirmations to stop self-isolating and on what level uh i think i had social anxiety disorder when i was uh 13 14 15 had a lot of self-loathing in a sense that i was repellent and the, like contact with me was evil for other people um and that created huge amounts of social anxiety that i did manage to train out with myself in a very sort of militant martial artsy you know nlp lunatic sort of way a lot of conditioning of like you will be confident now be confident blah. Uh, and that, that actually worked uh took, took a couple of years but it worked uh, did i use affirmations affirmations would have been part of that but i probably should do a whole google hangout on overcoming social anxiety disorder uh, if i don't then please remind me anna banana elizabeth asks i get feelings of rage around the 12 steps is there a way to work around that? Or do you think the 12-step work might just be aggravating to us with CPTSD? No comment. Sorry, Elizabeth. Uh, you do what you feel is right for you uh, as an adult, as a sovereign adult. And you trust your intuition. If something feels sucky and weird and awkward, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, Margie says, it started to work on Google Plus after a minute. I'm on that now. Oh, good. Okay. So we're good then. Uh, Peter says, I also find Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle very calming. Uh, please, boys and girls, don't, don't ask me any more questions. I'm going to fire through these as many as I can. But it's, uh, it's midnight here. And I just came back from the gym before I started this. I'm not good, dog. Other than the Energizer buzzy. 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 See? Do you see it's happening? Two hours of chatting there. Now I'm winding down. Um, I've been following a suggestion to stay in the body all the time. Ooh, yeah, a bit awkward for people with CPTSD to stay in the body. All of that Zen stuff in the moment, take reality as it is, is all a bit tricky for people with CPTSD. You definitely need to reduce your emotional flashbacks first before doing uh, pure uh, meditation work. Um, 
Oh, Peter, where have you gone? Where have you gone, Peter? Uh, oh yeah, it worked in terms of reducing my addictions and running away from pain, but it triggered some fear flashbacks. Yeah, should I follow down that road? Uh, yeah, reduce the, the, the Zen meditation work is great. Staying in the body is great. Dealing with reality is, is, is fantastic. People with CPTSD need a primer course. Um, I did a video on YouTube that's called CPTSD and Zen meditation that talks about some of the problems that I had and that many people get and trying to do that kind of work. It's not that it's not great work, it's that we, you need somebody with CPTSD to walk you through it because yeah, it can give you, it can, it can be torture, just sat there inside of your own mind in the middle of a flashback. Okay. Jackie says, I had so many questions surrounding my recently past painful narcissistic relationship, but found myself tonight just enjoying the video and having a laugh. Thanks a mill. So enjoy your videos. You've helped me no end, smiley face. Sense of humor is a must. That's great. Glad to hear it. Uh, Petra asked another question and I didn't answer her last one because I didn't understand it. So I'm going to answer it now. Nobody wants to deal with mental issues. I understand that. Do you think that most suffer with mental issues too? I don't understand why. It is always hush hush. Is this going to be the second question of yours? I don't understand. <laughs> Nobody wants to deal with mental health issues. With mental issues, I understand that. You're referencing me talking about uh, psychotherapists and uh, you know, trauma, uh, yes. Uh, do you think that most suffer with mental issues too? Are you asking me if I think that most mental health professionals suffer with mental health issues? I don't know. I imagine that many do. They're humans. We're all humans at the end of the day. Um, and, and for some people, yeah, it might be, you know, that maybe some mental health professionals are not being honest uh, that with themselves, that maybe they find that kind of work frightening and their fear makes them become bullying or excessively pushy or excessively indifferent or, you know, very possibly, I think like it's potentially a really, really good point. Uh, Matthias, I don't know how I'm saying your name, if that's right. Follow up question to Elizabeth. I have many times been attracted to emotionally distant persons. Uh, many people who are the victims of narcissistic abuse are attracted to emotionally distant or emotionally unavailable people. It's modeled from usually from the narcissistic uh, or cluster B caregiver who imprinted you for trauma. Uh, Laura says, I realize why I train so much in martial arts, Shaolin Kung Fu, but I also fell a bit deep into the cult of it as well. What you said earlier about yourself, very interesting. Take the good aspects of the training and not get so caught up in the boundaries. That's what Bruce Lee said. That's what Bruce Lee said. He was. Uh, it was all about that, not getting caught up in the, uh, he called it the classical mess and all those silly boundaries. Angel Flower says, sometimes it's hard to work out what voice is yours and what voice is the abuser's. That's probably one of the core issues of the work that you've identified there, knowing which voice is yours and which voice is the voice of a hijacker. TSG TSG says, how do I leave my living situation with my narcissistic father and codependent mother? I'm 28 and not allowed to move out before marriage. I don't know. That's my honest answer to you. I don't know. You're in a situation uh, that where you've given me very limited information. You say you're 28, you're not allowed to move out before marriage. How do you leave if you're not allowed to move out? If I then say become financially independent, you're going to fire back with, I'm not allowed to become financially independent. Um, I'm afraid I can't help you with that question or questions like this uh, because I don't know enough. Um, sorry about that, TSG. 
Jan J. My question is why most of the fat people are loud, territorial, and sex addictive. I what? <laughs> Are you trolling Jan Jay? <laughs> My question is why most of the fat people are loud, territorial, and sex addictive. That might be your perception. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're on about there, mate. Uh, E4100, I just want to say thanks, mate, for your videos. I watch them pretty much daily. You've explained things in uh, such an amazing way. I was truly beaten down by the NARC relationship and you've been my YouTube therapist. Love to see far more videos from you. Happy to help you via the YouTube, mate. Right, well, that's two hours and three minutes of me going on in a room on my own. To you good folks, uh, a lot of people watching tonight, which is great to see, and a lot of really, really good questions there. I'm sorry if I missed your question. Um, I'll try and get around to you next time. Hope you found that useful. Uh, people want me to do the like a Google Hangout on the uh, sexual addiction thing. If you want me to talk more about the uh, blue belt level of affirmations and talk a little bit more about uh, some of the rules that, that they have in NLP for good hypnotic commands that you're going to give yourself, uh, then I'll do that as well. And any other suggestions I, I, will, I will take. Um, it only remains for me to say thank you very much for your time and for your attention. Uh, just a little part in thought, you know, take it easy with yourself. Try and be kind to yourself. You can be kind and disciplined at the same time. You can be compassionate and boundaried at the same time. We don't have many models for how to do that in modern culture because modern culture exists as one huge psyop to brainwash us into thinking that we need big brother, big mother, big daddy to look after us, keep us stupid and obedient and confused and greedy and addicted and all of that stuff. Um, so where you don't have a model for that, maybe you just need to kind of create one, an archetype inside of your own head, or maybe you just need to be that for yourself and be that for other people. Be calm, be compassionate, but don't be too soft. You can also be disciplined. You can also be at times stern. You can say no. And you can still be loving and friendly and say no. You can be decisive and proactive and compassionate and empathic all at the same time. It's not an either or situation. Um, and the person you most need to be disciplined, boundaried, yet compassionate, loving, friendly and empathic with is yourself. The most important relationship that you can create is the one with yourself. Um, if you've got CPTSD, you might have fallen out with yourself a few years ago. Maybe it's time to make friends again, to take the whole situation a bit more lightly, to remind yourself to laugh, to have fun, uh, to dance, to fuck around. You'd be, I would be so embarrassed that people could see me in the house. I'm spending my entire day singing and happy and just chatting away to myself because, you know, being cheerful uh, is a choice. Uh, being optimistic. Is a, is a discipline and if you don't your default setting might default back to something that is a little bit anxious and depressed um, so you know whatever it is that you choose to do whether you choose to go down the road of doing like Zen Buddhism or you want to do psychotherapy you want to do MDR you want to do this you want to do that you need first and foremost to form a, a good strong uh, compassionate relationship with yourself in which you honestly and openly acknowledge your own needs and work with them 
um, and acknowledge your own intuition. Keep asking yourself, how does this make me feel? How do I feel about this? And do the things that make you feel good that you intuitively sense are going to be healthy and good for you in the long term, just the short term. Okay, boys and girls, that was fun. Let's do it again sometime. Uh, thanks again, and I will speak to you soon. Take care.